History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 years old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're chatting with my good friend, Pastor Toby Baxter. He's an author and a speaker, and he's part of the Coach Community Mentoring Program with Crossway Baptist Church in Melbourne. He's a great man of God, and we're going to hear a bit of his story today. Welcome along, Toby. Tell us your background. Where were you born and raised? Well, thanks, Matt. It's a real uh, privilege to be uh, part of this and uh, to be interviewed by you. Yeah, I, I was I was born in the UK, as you could probably pick up from the accent. I was born in uh, Buckinghamshire, to just north of London, in a place called Aylesbury, where, in fact, we do have a coach ministry there, um, which is which is great uh, in my hometown. But Aylesbury, Buckinghamshire, is where I was born up, uh, brought brought up uh, for the first six years at least of my life, and then. My uh, father got a job in Brussels in um, Belgium, so we moved over there. But I was sent back to the UK uh, to boarding school. So I um, went to boarding school uh, back in the UK until I was about 18 or so. Okay, and tell us a bit about your Hmm. your faith journey. Did you have like a religious upbringing? Uh, Yeah, my parents, I would describe as as absolutely uh, were Christians, but they weren't, uh, they didn't Pose anything on us. We did go to church as children, and uh, I went to uh, my second boarding school was an evangelical sort of independent school, and that had a bit of an influence on me. Although, really, um, and I was confirmed as a child in the Anglican denomination, the Church of England. I was, and, and my uncle had a bit of an influence, a big influence on me, and he was really my mentor. Um, he was um, Uncle Nin, I used to call him, because I couldn't say his proper name, which was Ian, And he, when I was very young. And so he was called Uncle Nin, and he had a big influence on me. But really, when I was about 13, I turned away from God, um, and I led a very hedonistic life that was sort of dominated by going on uh, wild adventures, and uh, to be honest, you know, I really um, didn't have a very healthy approach to to women, and I, I went through a serious sort of downward spiral in the way I, I perhaps treated women, and uh, got involved in sort of serial relationships, and wasn't very um, ethical in my approach to women, and I sort of rejected God. I would have described myself by the time I was twenty as an atheist. And how did you turn around? How did you come back to the Lord? So my, my goal in life at that stage was to make a lot of money, and I worked for a, a company called Knight Frank. I got a job with them as a young graduate straight out of university, and uh, which was great. But uh, in about 1989, there was a downturn in the property market, and I saw some of my colleagues being made redundant. I was also in a relationship that I couldn't really get out of, and I saw this posting that Knight Frank had to Botswana, which is in Southern Africa. And I thought, fantastic, I'll go for that posting because A, I can avoid redundancy, and B, I can run away from this relationship. I wasn't uh, perhaps um, very morally courageous at that stage of my life, so I thought it would be easy to run away to deepest, darkest Africa and uh, do a job over there. 
However, when I got there, things weren't quite what I expected them to be. I expected to be on safari every day and uh, so glamorous lifestyle of an expat living out in Africa. And it wasn't like that at all. It was the job was very stressful. I was the youngest employee. The company out there was losing money. My bosses seemed to be distracted and setting up their own property development company on the side. They were sending back some false books back to the London partnership. And uh, so things were really stressful. The, 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 the company in Botswana was running out of money. And when you run it, you, you've got a cash flow problem. You can't pay your bills. Uh, your contractors turn up with clubs. Oh, so really? I was faced, <laughs> faced with uh, unhappy subcontractors and contractors turning up with literally with clubs, threatening us, threatening me. And um, I remember my, my boss was hiding under his desk and uh, telling me just to pay, pay off this contractor. And I had to face up to this contractor who literally had a club in his hand. And uh, so it was very stressful. I was quite lonely and depressed, I think. You know, uh, I, I, I knew things weren't, I had done made mistakes. And, uh, and I found myself where I had all the sort of trimmings of an expat job and a nice car, nice house. But I found myself lonely, and one day I just got on my knees, literally got on my knees in my bedroom and, uh, and said, Lord, I remember you from when I was 13. Please come back into my life because uh, <laughs> I'm feeling actually quite emotional as I speak right now. Um, because I'd stuffed up. I know I stuffed up. I'd, I've led a life, and I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'd remembered about sin and that. And I said, look, I've sinned. I've stuffed up. Um, please come back into my life. And I felt his presence in that. that in that was in May 1990. I felt his presence. Well, I was all alone come into my life. I, I described it as little champagne bubbles rising up in me of, of love and joy and of reassurance, assurance that, yes, he was there. He was real. And so I thought, wow, this is weird. It does sound a bit weird. <laughs> um, but it was very real to me and I, and I stumbled out of my uh, home and I went down to the supermarket where in Africa you can buy Bibles in the supermarket. So I bought a Bible um, and I started reading the Bible. I went to, along to a, a church, happened to be sort of uh, quite a lively Pentecostal church. I, I, I think I was had been filled with the Holy Spirit by myself, uh, but I wouldn't have been able to articulate that at the time, but I felt this joy uh, as you know as we're filled with the spirit we get filled with that joy don't we yeah that joy and peace and security that i hadn't and that hole in me that i've been trying to fill with hedonistic highs of doing crazy things and women womenizing really uh, that's what probably the term i would use um i was trying to fill with all these sorts of things that are unhealthy in the end unhealthy to me and, and to others that hole was filled by the Holy Spirit, and I felt that sense of peace and joy. And uh, I, it was very fortunate, I think, again, God had his hand in this, but I went along to this lively Baptist church. It was a sort of Pentecostal Baptist church um, with a lot of Africans, Americans, British uh, missionaries, uh, and it was. And uh, it so happened a couple of doors down from where I lived, there was a mature Christian, a little bit older than me, not much older than me, but he'd been on... He was a solid Christian, and he used to disciple me. He saw what was going on, and we read every morning pretty much. We we got up early and read the Bible together, 
and we just sing, <laughs> which was which was uh, uh, which wasn't a great sound, but it was pleasing to the Lord. We used to sing in the morning. It was right. like a bit weird, but again, it was just a, that 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 freshness. Mate, what a great testimony of coming to Christ and. You know, at a, at a Bapticostal church, and uh, church. T- tell us a bit about your faith journey after that. Uh, did you? Yeah, well, end up yeah, back in the UK uh, soon after that, or? Yeah, well, what happened is that uh, I, uh, I continued to work for Night Frank in Africa, but God had His. I didn't know what I, I. I was my goal was still my purpose in life, and nothing wrong with this was to make a lot of money, but. And, and to do property development, nothing wrong with that. So I'm not, you know, the, you know, some of your listeners no doubt are in property and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just wanted to say that. But God had a different plan for me. But I, I really had not got a compassionate bone in my body. I'm, not, I'm now, I've worked for 30 years with the marginalized. But at that point in 1990, I just didn't have a compassionate bone in my body. But but there was a rather attractive missionary girl, uh, woman, <laughs> in church. Uh, her name's Elizabeth, um, and uh, she was American. And um, and she, she, she I, I wanted to take her out for a date, but I, because of my history, I, I wanted to do everything absolutely proper. And I was a bit shy. I didn't want to do to launch into anything inappropriate. So I was really waiting for her to make the first move. And sure enough, one day after church, in the foyer of church, she came up to me with a cup of coffee and she said, oh, hi, Toby. And um, and uh, she said, uh, we're looking for males to work with uh, the street kids, the street children, because in Gaborone, in Botswana, there were a real problem with street children, a lot of homeless kids running around in uh, sniffing glue, getting into trouble with the law, and the authorities didn't know what to do with them. And we were trying, she was trying to do an outreach to these kids and she wanted some more men to help out. As I mentioned, I didn't really have a compassionate bone in my body, but nevertheless, <laughs> I said to her, which was a bit of a lie, she, I said to her, I've always been interested in that sort of thing. <laughs> now, lying in church is not recommended, is it? Uh, <laughs> no. I don't need Pastor Matt. Um, uh, it's not really what we'd encourage, but I sort of asked forgiveness at the same time, and and, uh, and God actually had a bit of a plan for me. And because sure enough, as I went down to work with these children on the streets, they were in rags, often smoking a little sort of bottle jar of glue, sort of uh, inhaling this glue in, in and living. And the authorities would turn up with water cannon and to disperse them and lock them up. In amongst those children, I found the presence of Jesus, unsurprisingly, um, because Jesus says in Matthew 25, um, uh, whatever you do for the least of these, you do unto me. And, 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 and I was working, started working with the least of these, but I found for me, I benefited mm-hmm. because I encountered Jesus <laughs> in such a powerful way um, that it transformed my life again. So I'd had this sort of uh, initial experience of joy and peace, as I mentioned, but this next experience was a calling. And 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 uh, Jesus said to me, "I don't want you to do property anymore. I want you to go and work with the marginalised." Wow. Uh, and so I'm going, "Oh, this is this is not what I had in plan, but but but." Uh, God works in mysterious ways. He 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 used perhaps Elizabeth to get, 
uh, to get me down there to working with, working with the street children. And then, so I've been on a journey for the last 30 years of working with the marginalized. Mm. Like when I came back to England, I started working in night shelters and that was, um, and then I retrained as a social worker um, in the, in the mid nineties. I met my wife in England and I've uh, been on that journey ever since, Matt. Well, it's been inspirational to hear your story, and uh, we've only got a little bit of time left, but I just want to highlight the incredible work you're doing now. So it's a, a program called Empowered Faith Communities, and uh, you and Mark Matthews have both been coaching myself and a team from our church. And yeah. I know you visited our soup kitchen recently, and yeah. uh, I just have loved getting your input because you guys are – not just about giving a hand out, but giving a hand up to the poor. That's right. That's right. Yes, I think lots of churches do wonderful things like you had been doing and, and are doing. Uh, and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with charity and benevolence. We do charity. I mean, that's a lot of my life's been doing charitable work. But there's a shift, I think, that, that God's encouraging us to do across this nation from charity to empowerment, from the social gospel uh, to discipleship to making disciples of those people who are maybe homeless, living in those rooming houses that are in Brisbane and in many other cities on the margins, maybe struggling with mental health issues, maybe struggling with drug and alcohol issues to make, to become those people, people who've been in the, on the you know, living in those on the margins there to become, to be empowered to make disciples who make disciples. And that, that is, that is a, a new initiative it comes out of Coach, which is the original initiative, Creating Opportunities and Casting Hope, which is our mentoring program. This is more about uh, making disciples, empowered faith communities, it's more about making disciples who make disciples. And we are uh, really excited to see uh, 36 little, uh, not actually not that little, um, quite significant, yours is quite significant, communities that have that have have taken up some of those strategies of empowerment and of discipleship making and uh, we're really excited to see that that happen well it's been so good to hear your story and what you've been doing recently and we also just want to mention before we wrap up uh, you and mark have released a, a book called ordinary mentoring for extraordinary transformations uh, give us a, a quick snapshot of the book yeah, yeah. Well, basically, we uh, we uh, inspired. We both have uncle figures, <laughs> um, uh, actually no longer with us anymore. But Mark had an uncle, Uncle Pat. I had my uncle, Uncle Nin, who I talked about, who were really our mentors. And we've been on a journey, Mark and I, for the last twenty years of running, coach, creating opportunities, and casting hope. We've trained up thousands of mentors. Uh, or ordinary people, we call them friends with purpose, who've drawn alongside people doing it tough on the margins uh, to, to bring about transformation. We've seen story after story, thousands of families uh, and individuals transformed by uh, mentoring and mentors themselves being transformed. And it's a simple way, one or two hours a week, that uh, a mentor, a volunteer from a church, a Christian volunteer can go out from the church one or two hours a week and draw alongside somebody on the margins and to have a real impact. And together with Empowered Faith Communities can bring transformation to a community. And we've seen that in a number of different communities, not just the one-to-one, -one, it's the transformation of the, our community have, as people's lives have started to flourish. They've moved away from drugs. They've moved away 
from homelessness, from struggle to living an empowered life with a mentor alongside them and uh, ideally in an empowered faith community where they can worship and become disciples of Jesus themselves. So that's that that, that book, the book summarizes on, uh, uh, you know, the theology behind that, why that's really important to God that uh, we think uh, of working, why churches need to work with the marginalized, but but also the sort of tips and tricks and on how to do it in your community. Mm. And uh, and that's, that's the, the, you know, summary of the book. Yeah. And, and I know you guys are working with uh, Crossway Baptist Church in Melbourne and uh, you've yeah. uh, been reaching out all across Australia. You've even launched an Indigenous initiative in Townsville recently, which yeah. I'm so glad yeah, to hear. that was on Friday yep. last week. So, um, and that was really exciting. So um, a major milestone for Coach, Creating Opportunities and Casting Hope, was uh, to join in. For, and it's been a four-year journey to get to where we've, been uh, the launch on last Friday of rewriting the initiative uh, with the indigenous community up there. Uh, Auntie Florence, Auntie Shirley um, have been uh, part of that and they've they've helped us to rewrite it, make sure uh, the way they call it, indigenize it, I think that's <laughs> the, the whole initiative so that it's appropriate um, to that community in Townsville and potentially other communities in Mount Isa and Palm Island. They're looking to, to roll it out to, uh, and then perhaps uh, in other communities around Oz. Wonderful, mate. Well, if people want to find out more, the website is coachnetwork.org. Or EFC, it's, um, if they're inter- interested in empowered faith communities, it's empoweredefc.org.au. Uh, Wonderful. And of course, it's all connected to Crossway Baptist Church in Melbourne. People yep. can connect through there. It's been awesome hearing your story today, Toby. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. You're very kind. It was a, um, really great to connect, and uh, we'll speak soon. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. There you'll also find links to all of our social media channels, and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry, and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater, and my challenge to you now is to go and make history.